Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kirk Damon. And welcome back, everybody, to The Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy. Kirk has sent me a ton of material. Uh, and we're going to try and start putting together some shorter episodes because uh, some of it is is time-sensitive and needs to get out relatively quickly to be relevant. So here is the first of several pieces of new content I will be sending you from Kirk. And for some of these, I will also supplement them with my own thoughts. So without further ado, here is Kirk. Greetings and welcome back to yet one more Edamame episode from me. Um this one I am recording uh, June 17th. I'm putting the date in just because I wanted to let people know uh, when this is from because I wanted to talk about a particularly piece of interesting piece of legislation um, that I happened to learn about this morning. Um, I'm going to give a call out to uh, Dennis Crouch and his Patent Leo um, blog. If uh, anybody out there is, a, by the way, a patent practitioner or you're interested in you know general patent law stuff, uh, Dennis is a professor at the University of Missouri and he puts out Patent Leo. Uh, short of patently obvious, um, which is a wonderful blog discussing a lot of things happening in the patent world. Um, it's given me a few ideas for the show over the over the years, but definitely it gave me this one. He's the uh, only person I've seen so far who'd reported this in the legal press. Um, but I think it's particularly interesting and I want to talk about it. So this is a proposed piece of legislation. It's actually Senate Bill 3630, um, which is known as the Facilitating Innovation to Fight Coronavirus Act. Um now, from what I can see with that, it's not one that has a unique acronym. Anybody who knows who watches legislation, things are oftentimes named uh, so that they have a nice abbreviation that makes a word. Um, this one, you know, it looks like it's it's FIFCA. Um, so at least it doesn't seem to be a major word, but at least it seems to be pronounceable. Um, this was introduced, and I'm, uh, I'm sure I'm going to butcher this poor senator's name. It's uh, Ben Sasse, I think, um, the Republican from Nebraska introduce this. Uh, what it is, it's designed to basically provide a trade-off for uh, people who are inventing things related specifically to um, the treatment of COVID-19. The reason I want to talk about it is because I think the trade-off is particularly interesting and, and just the idea of what it is. So the background behind uh, the, the legislation, and again, I'm getting this all from secondary legal press. Um, I didn't you know, pull a copy of the bill itself. Um, I'm just talking about sort of what is being said in the secondary legal press about it. Um, but what particularly it is, it has two components. So basically, there are patents which are eligible to it. It does say patents. Um, so this is going to be issued patents that are out there. Um, re- relate to things which are use for use in the treatment of COVID-19. Um, now, it does it make it sort of broadly stated. It can be um, devices. It can be pharmaceuticals. It can be anything. But it's particularly patents to things which are useful uh, in the treatment of COVID-19. So that's what we're limiting it to. So it's obviously very clear as to what it is now. Obviously, you know, as a lawyer, one of the questions you bump into is what does it mean by use in? Um, this is something that we need to be uh, approached by the courts. But um, we'll talk about that a little bit here in a minute and potential issues with that. And if you basically say, hey, I'm subject to this bill um, and you have one of these inventions – the issue that is is that patent will now not be enforceable until the end of the declared state of emergency, of national emergency. So you, we've seen things out there. You guys may have seen some stuff about it, about various patent groups, groups getting together and saying, hey, we're going to put patents in and these are not going to be um, – enforceable. We're going to agree as companies to say we're not going to enforce the patents in this in order to treat the pandemic. 
this is sort of doing that initial stage of saying, hey, these are not going to be enforceable during the state of national emergency. But it then also says, hey, they're enforceable after uh, the end of the state of national emergency. Um, And what it then grants is a 10-year extension to your patent term. Um, Now, keep in mind, the normal patent term is 20 years from the date of filing. So we're effectively increasing it by 50%. Um, This is a substantial increase in conjunction with the the patent term that exists for the United States. Um, The other thing is the bill also has a number of things having to do with um, essentially broad limitations on liability uh, for loosely defined as sort of physicians and and people using things to treat COVID-19 off-label or I'd I'd say loosely against regulation. Um, I'm not going to talk about that piece of it. That's a potentially interesting piece too, and I think other people may talk about it. But I particularly want to talk about this first piece and this idea of this patent extension. And the reason I want to talk about it is this is incredibly interesting to me um, as a way to potentially respond. Um, obviously, as a, as a patent practitioner, I've been paying attention to the ideas of these you know, patent groups getting together and saying, hey, let's put all this patent to technology together. We'll agree not to enforce it. And I'm one of those that I'm not sure these are going to work. I think I may have even mentioned it in a prior episode. I seem to say that a lot in conjunction with these edamames, don't I? You know, I may have mentioned something in a prior episode. But the uh, one of the things that uh, I definitely have talked about, you know, I've thought about in conjunction with it is does it really provide the right incentive? Um, it's one thing for somebody to say, hey, I've got a patent that's out there. It's not anything that's really valuable. It's really only going to be used for COVID-19 because it maybe only has one or two years left on it. It's fine if they want to put those into groups. But if you're a new uh, patentee, particularly if you're a small company, a startup, um, you kind of look at it and say, hey, do I really want to you know, participate in this? And there's been a lot of push, I think, in the popular press um, you know, by a lot of public health officials of saying we need this. I think those of us who work in patent law have really said, hey, this is not a potentially good idea. Um, we don't necessarily want people to be saying, hey, I'm going to give up my rights to something. Now, some of it is based, and for those of you who historically may know, uh, it's based on, I believe it's the treatment of polio um, and the vaccine for polio, uh, which when the, uh, the individual who invented it did basically give it away um, and, and allowed uh, really didn't profit off of it and sort of allowed it to be generally produced. Um, I think that's where these are coming from is the idea that, you know, this is an appropriate public health menace. We need to react as a policy reason to do this. What I worry about uh, as, as a patent attorney is the, the fundamental purpose of the patent system is to encourage innovation um, by basically saying you get the patent, you get the limited monopoly in exchange for telling the world how to do this. Um, and it's, it's an incentive. Uh, and I think it's, and I listen to plenty of economics podcasters. I don't know if you guys do as well. Um, you know, part of my degree is in economics. Um, the idea that incentives matter. Um, and what do you use as an incentive in order to encourage people? So if you have a small startup right now, the ability to potentially protect an idea and say, hey, yeah, I've developed something in conjunction with COVID-19 could readily make, um, you know, giant companies out of startups today if they happen to develop something. You know, you've got to think about the fact that there are innovators working on this, but the incentive to capitalize on it um, is valuable. Even those who potentially would be saying, I'm going to give it away, I think, you know, the possibility of potentially winning scientific prizes or just simply public acclaim um, must be examined as potential incentives for people trying to solve the issue. So we've had these these patent systems getting out there saying, hey, we just want you to give away, we just want to put this technology into something which is going to be freely licensed. Again, I, I appreciate the public health sentiment behind it, but I'm not sure it necessarily gives the right incentives um, because it says, hey, we've, uh, we've not necessarily... Um, 
incentivized solving it. This bill adds on this second piece, uh, which says, hey, if you do this, um, we'll use it presumably to during the course of the national emergency and when the national emergency is over, um, we'll grant you 10 more years, um, a patent term than you would normally have. The reason I think this is so interesting is because if you're talking about something that may have use in conjunction with treating COVID-19, that may not be its only use. Uh, it may have use for something else. Uh, I think most of the drugs that, you know, have been already, you know, are out there as possibilities of being promising, um, have other uses. And so if we look at it and say, Hey, we've got something which is out there to treat it, um, We've got the possibility of extending those from the other areas. In addition, the, the national emergency will probably cease being declared before everybody has been treated. Um, you know, I doubt we'll have a situation where we have 100% herd immunity um, before the national emergency in the United States is removed. So what we are looking at in conjunction with this is the ability to potentially get a lot more patent term, um, you know, as a protection at the far end of this in exchange for basically putting it out there and assisting uh, in treating this particular epidemic. So... I think it's a, it's a fascinating idea of a trade-off. Um, again, I'm going to call us Dennis Crouch, who, who had the thing with us. His question was, and I think it's a very legitimate question, would people be willing to make this trade-off? Um, I think I come down the other side. I think he, uh, from just the tone of the blog post, is not sure people would be willing um, to make that, that trade-off. I think people may be very willing to make that trade-off, depending on exactly what it is that they think that they have found. Um, I look at it particularly in conjunction, you know, where you talk about a pharmaceutical or medical device, something like that. The ability to have 10 additional years of patent protection is potentially an enormous amount of money. Um, and, you know, that people may very well take them up on this. What I particularly wanted to talk about is what does it mean for intention with the patent law? Uh, first off, can we actually do this? Um, the United States patent term, um, now being based upon the filing date and effectively its length is, is basically set to comport with international treaty. Um, we've mostly set our patent laws to, to correspond to what other countries do. This is a dramatic increase, um, in conjunction with that. And the question with it is, is how is that, how will that be treated? Can we, as a, can the Congress basically do this or are they potentially be bound by treaty not to do this? Um, you know, is there something that says we can't extend the patent term this long? I don't believe there is. I believe the patent terms allow each country to set its own. Um, we have just moved to it, um, is essentially the idea of, of comporting with international law to try to make us more like what's going on in international countries. But this would obviously be a clear step away of saying, no, we are going to do something very different and we're going to uh, dramatically increase the term in conjunction with these. So I think that's a, a first stage is basically does the U.S. Congress actually have the power to do this? Um, you know, barring any kind of treaty, they, they, they clearly do. They are the, you know, American rulemaking authority should they decide that this is the term of the United States patents, um, they have the authority to do so. It's not the patent office doing this. This is coming from the Senate. So, you know, I think that's the, the first question. Again, I think it's going to fall on the fact that they do have the power to do this um, and potentially extend it, even though it will obviously take us uh, away from what every other country is currently doing uh, with, in conjunction with its patent term. The second thing I think is very intriguing about this is exactly how we determine what is for use in treating COVID-19. Um, is this something where, you know, this could potentially be forced on you? So if it's something where, hey, if um, a doctor says this turns out it is useful, um, you could be forced into this type of a scheme which says, hey, yes, you have to now give it away. Um, 
but you're going to get the additional 10-year term? Um, or is it something where you can voluntarily do it? So could you have somebody who says, hey, we have this very promising drug um, you know, for treating migraines or name any other alternative disease other than COVID-19? Um, and it turns out it does have some effect. It's useful uh, for relieving the symptoms in at least some people, maybe a very small amount. Let's say uh, it only affects the symptoms of 1% of people that, are, that have the disease, but it does clearly affect those 1%. And, and just for purposes of the hypothetical, we can prove that. Um, anybody who's out there who understands science knows that that's impossible. Um, but let's just, uh, for the purposes of the hypothetical, say that we can definitively do that. So we can say it definitively is for the use of COVID-19, but only for certain cases. Um, is there a value to coming in and saying, hey, I want to get this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to allow it to be used to treat those patients during the, the window of this. But at the end of this, I'm going to get a dramatic increase uh, in the end of my patent term, and this may be very, very valuable to me uh, for prescribing the drug in the future, um, you know, beyond the window of national emergency, uh, beyond it being useful for a secondary purpose, even if it's just useful for treating COVID-19. At the end of the national emergency, can I potentially make up um, my money at the far end of simply still treating COVID-19 cases? Uh, would there potentially still be enough of the coronavirus going around? The particularly interesting scenario, and lawyers love to sort of, you know, talk about slippery slope arguments and the idea of, you know, what does this mean down the road, is what if I develop this drug? I do go and in, go into this process. So I say, hey, this is, you know, directly a cure for COVID-19, um, you know, or if we prefer SARS coronavirus 2, and I'm going to say that uh, on purpose, and I'm going to switch my terminology slightly here on purpose. Um, and it turns out it's it's the cure. Um, it works radically well. It does completely solve it. I put it subject to this and say, hey, I get my additional 10 years worth of term. Um, We've now wiped out SARS coronavirus 2, and some point in time in the future, SARS coronavirus 3 comes in and becomes uh, a major health emergency, at least associated with the United States, uh, enough to potentially implicate it. And it turns out that my now extended term drug is also a treatment for coronavirus 3. Um what does that mean? Do we have a scenario where now uh, you'd be looking at saying, well, we really want it to be supplied and you have a company that could effectively hold the entire country hostage and say, you're going to pay me whatever I ask uh, in conjunction with getting this because of it being um, subject to patent. It's obviously particularly an interesting scenario if you were to take a, a drug which, let's say, was going to run at a patent a year from now. Um and you put it in and say that's uh, that's something we can do. It's going to be subject to it again. Let's assume it is the cure for SARS coronavirus two. Um, the uh, we have we have that that product go in. It, it is unquestionably that they put it in. They collect nothing on it. As soon as the national emergency is dec- is removed, uh, it would have been off patent uh, before this entire process was over. But it's now subject to this ten year extension. It's ten more years, um, and now five years from now is when we have SARS coronavirus number three. Um, come down. So now we have a patent, which normally for a drug, which normally would not have been enforceable at the time SARS coronavirus three comes in, but is enforceable because of this change in the law. What does that mean? Um, so anyway, these are the kind of legal questions I wanted to raise in conjunction with this. Like I said, I wanted to talk about this because I think this is a fascinating development. Um, 
I, I also want to give our, our senator from Nebraska a little bit of kudos for thinking creatively. Um, I don't know if he necessarily came up with this, if a staffer did, or obviously this may have been suggested by somebody in industry. But the the idea of, of sort of looking at the, the concept of these patent groupings and saying uh, we want to just make this technology generally available in order to treat the current disease and then taking it one step further and saying, hey, but we'll provide you with a trade-off um, and that trade-off being potentially economic value down the road – uh, is a particularly interesting idea. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Obviously, this is just a proposed Senate rule. This may go nowhere. It may never make it out of committee. Um, you know, anybody who's who knows anything about sort of how Congress works, and it's says Congress works, uh, and legislative rulemaking can recognize the fact that, that because it's been proposed doesn't mean anything. This may go nowhere. Um, but Again, my thought with this is this is an intriguing concept, um, and it sort of flows from some of our prior episodes where we talked about you know how the CARES Act has provided the patent office with unprecedented powers. Um, we have a scenario right now um, in conjunction with COVID nineteen where I think there is a recognition of a need for technology and innovation. And we have the organizations associated with technology and innovation um, and the recognition of the patent system being um, something associated with that. And the idea that, you know, do we need to alter it to deal with the current situation um, and to sort of recognize these issues. So anyway, uh, I don't know if you guys found this as interesting as I did. Um, this is something I kind of geeked out about. I saw this this morning um, when it uh, when it came down on Patent Leo and thought this would just be a fascinating podcast topic because to me, it's just a particularly interesting patent law. And again, it flows from the issues in conjunction with the CARES Act and the idea of we are giving um, sort of, you know, the patent office, you know, un- potentially unprecedented powers. This is now the idea of giving a patent, a potentially dramatically increased term over everything that's been uh, sort of proposed otherwise uh, is the idea of it being interesting. So I'm obviously going to follow this, uh, see if it goes anywhere. If it does, you know, continue forward, I think there's going to be some debates. There obviously could be revisions, uh, discussions of the language to deal with some of these potential issues that I talked about uh, in this podcast. But I think it'll be an interesting thing to see and we'll see where it goes. So anyway, I will leave you um, with our uh, Edamame episode and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Thank you, Kirk. Terrific. Uh, so that's all for now. Um, I, I don't know exactly what order the rest of this is going to come out in. We've got a piece on uh, Civilization VI and complexity in video games. Uh, the Star Wars uh, episode that I promised not too long ago, Kirk and I both have our what if we were the uh, producer thoughts to share, which maybe we'll do that one next, and some other things. So you can expect um, probably a, a number of shorter episodes over the next uh, few weeks as we get through this backlog of content that mostly Kirk has produced. So that's all for today. We'll see you next time. Lauren, play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri. 